Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hello, everyone. This is Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, November 1st. We'll start today with the weather. Today we're going to see highs of just 47 degrees with occasional rain throughout the day. Tonight's lows will be 34 degrees and the weather will be clearing. The sun rose this morning at 7.13 a.m. and will set tonight at 5.36 p.m. Tomorrow, Thursday, November 2nd, we will see plenty of sunshine. Highs will be 49 degrees and lows 38 degrees. Friday will continue to be a mostly sunny, pleasant day, breezy in the afternoon. Highs will be 58 degrees and lows of 50 degrees. Saturday will be another breezy and pleasant day with a mix of clouds and sun. Highs of 63 degrees and lows of 50. And finally, Sunday will be another partly sunny and pleasant day. Highs will be 60 degrees and lows 50 degrees. And next, in other local news, we will go to the lottery. Yesterday's numbers game for Tuesday, October 31st at the midday drawing were 3, 6, 3, and 1. I'll repeat that. 3, 6, 3, 1. The evening drawing yesterday, Tuesday, October 31st, 3, 1, 1, 3. Again, that is 3, 1, 1, 3. The mass cash number for Tuesday, October 31st, was 4, 8, 13, 26, 31. Mega Millions for yesterday, 14, 35, 37, 55, 70, and a bonus number of 15. And finally, the Lucky for Life numbers from yesterday were 28, 31, 33, 40, 47, the lucky ball of 16. If we played, we hope you were a winner. And next, we will go to our first front page story, We Deserve the Resources, Bill Filed in Legislature to Ease Burden of Caregivers, by Clara Cho, Boston University State House Program. Dawn Erickson Taylor and her spouse, Patty, have been married for nearly 20 years, but in September 2021, life changed drastically for the couple. The COVID-19 pandemic had created a significant workforce shortage, and the couple wasn't an exception. Patty worked up to 80 hours a week to fill the void left by staffed shortages in the assisted living facility where she worked. She experienced occupational stress and suffered a massive hemorrhagic stroke, leaving her left size parallel. 
um, excuse me, leaving her left side paralyzed. Taylor recounted how she found her footing. I was the shell-shocked spouse, and I think two days after this had happened, I was sitting at my friend's table having dinner with them consoling me, Taylor said. It just hit me that I can't be the shell-shocked spouse anymore. I have to go in to advocate mode. Taylor was thrust into the role of a caregiver. Her professional career, spanning 30 years in human services, had involved advocating for adults with intellectual and physical disabilities and working with the elderly. However, the burden as a caregiver was tremendous. I don't have the financial resources to pay for private care, and our income is not low enough to qualify for Medicaid mass health programs, Taylor said. So it's just that it can be kind of a lonely place because the options are so few. Taylor was eventually able to arrange a hybrid work schedule through her employer, Elder Services of Cape Cod, a nonprofit organization that offers caregiver in-home support services. Its Family Caregiver Support Program provides support groups and monthly programs in person and virtually. Taylor's journey from the shock of the sudden health crisis to her advocacy for a crucial legislative change, sheds light on the challenges faced by several caregivers and the urgent need for reform. Bay State Lawmaker proposes bill to ease burden on spouses who provide care. A bill before the Massachusetts legislature seeks to expand the definition of family members eligible to be reimbursed through mass health programs. Currently, spouses are the only relationship excluded from that program. This legislation doesn't affect program eligibility rules for enrollees, but broadens the definition of people who can serve as a paid caregiver. Senator Joanne M. Comerford, Democrat, Northampton, introduced the bill to the legislature's Committee on Children, Families, and Persons with Disabilities, highlighting the need to allow spouses to serve as paid caregivers, especially given the extensive waiting lists for home care services. There are people on the waiting list, as you know, who can't get the home care they need, Comerford said, allowing qualified spouses to serve as family members who provide the care will actually expand the pool of caregivers, which I imagine then would reduce the wait list and allow more people to get the care they need to stay at home. The bill would authorize the state's Executive Office of Health and Human Services to seek a waiver from the federal government to make the change. 
Betsy Crimmins, executive director of Mass Home Care, finds several benefits from this provision. If people are given a choice, many would choose to have their spouse provide care if it didn't mean complete financial catastrophe for the family, Crimmins said. There's continuity of care. There's somebody that you know, somebody that you trust who's there, and you don't have to worry about calling in sick or moving or quitting. Home caregivers are less expensive than nursing homes. Crimmins also mentioned that caregivers who qualify for Medicaid can see cost savings compared to nursing homes or institutional settings. Nursing home care is both really expensive and it's where people end up having the worst health outcomes and average nursing home rates are $14,000 to $17,000 a month, Crimmins said. Within a couple of months, you've already paid out more for someone who's in an institutional setting where they don't want to be than, would it, than it, what it would have cost to pay their spouse to stay home and provide the care to them for one whole year. The shortage of home care workers across the country can also lead to dire consequences. The Executive Office of Elder Affair, Affairs waitlists show 4,396 people eligible for in-home services that were waiting for a provider, according to Crimmins' written testimony. Another 718 found a provider but were waiting for services, which can take several months. The federal government allows states to include spouses as paid caregivers in Medicaid programs. Fifteen states, including Vermont, California, and North Dakota, have already embraced the change, showcasing the potential benefits of such legislation. I think people need to stop and take a moment and realize that at some point in their life, they will be affected by this, Don Erickson Taylor said. Knowing what I have sacrificed in my life, Patty has sacrificed for us to coalesce and really try to recreate a life that still has dreams, that still has quality, that still has dignity, and we deserve the resources as caregivers. And there are two pictures that go with this story. The caption for the first reads, Caregiver Don Erickson Taylor with spouse Patty Erickson, Erickson Taylor in Hyannis. During the pandemic, tired from overwork at an assisted living facility, Patty suffered a hemorrhagic stroke, thrusting Don into the role of caregiver. Dawn can't afford private care, and her income doesn't qualify her for mass health. Senator Joe Comerford has filed legislation to expand the definition of family members eligible 
to be reimbursed through MassHealth. The second picture has a caption that reads, Caregiver Don Erickson Taylor on the right heads out for a morning walk with Patty Erickson Taylor in Hyannis. Our next front page story is entitled Brunel Pleads Guilty. Plymouth Man Robbed Homes While Families Attended Funerals by Rashik Tabassam Mujib, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. A 42-year-old Plymouth man pleaded guilty on Tuesday in Barnstable Superior Court to multiple counts of larceny and breaking and entering in connection with burglarizing homes whose occupants were attending funerals or wakes of family members. Randy Brunel was sentenced to four and a half to five years at the Sousa Baranowski Correctional Center in Lancaster by Judge Mark Gildea. Brunel had been indicted on seven counts, including three counts of breaking and entering during daytime and committing a felony, three counts of larceny from a building, and one count of intent to breaking and entering during the daytime to commit a felony. Brunel looked for funeral times posted in newspapers and online before choosing which homes to burglarize, according to police reports from his arrest on February 9, 2018. An arrest in 2018 after a break-in in Ketuit. Police arrested Brunel in February 2018 after he was alleged to have broken into a Ketuit house while the homeowner was at a wake for her mother at John Lawrence Funeral Home in Marston's Mills. Barnstable Police Lieutenant Mark Mellon was the lead detective in Brunel's case. Targeting people while they were suffering from personal loss was an inhuman and horrible thing to do, Mellon said to a Times reporter at the hearing. Brunel previously served 18 months in the Plymouth County Correctional Facility after he broke into the home of a sandwich police officer's mother in 2012 while the officer was attending her funeral. Michael Wood, the sandwich police officer, was present at Tuesday's hearing. The fingerprint marks left on the kitchen window at his mother's house led to Brunel's arrest in 2012, Wood said. Incidents in 2017 and 2018 on Cape Cod linked to Brunel. In September of 2017, Barnstable Police went to the home of a 76-year-old Osterville woman who reported missing jewelry after coming home from her husband's funeral, according to Cape and Islands District Attorney, excuse me, Assistant District Attorney Michael Donovan Tuesday. 
that incident was linked to Burnell. Also linked to Burnell was a December 2017 incident where Barnstable police responded to another Osterville apartment where an 80-year-old woman reported jewelry missing after a funeral, Donovan said. In both cases, the hours of the services had been published in the Times and on the funeral home's website. Police found screenshots of the websites on Brunel's phone, according to Donovan. In January 2018, an 89-year-old Centerville woman told police a suspicious man had come to her house during the time she was supposed to attend her husband's funeral, Donovan said. While she was home, too sick to attend the funeral, a man appeared on her front porch, and when she confronted him, he told her he was delivering a package. A nurse who was also present later identified Brunel's photo to the police, he said. Three family members from the Plymouth and Kingston area who were at Tuesday's hearing said they are glad Brunel was sentenced to prison. The individuals declined to identify themselves but said their court case was heard in Plymouth and had to do with a burglary during their father's funeral in 2017. Brunel targeted jewelry and other items that had more sentimental value than material value, the family member said. They stressed that he targeted people who were suffering from incalculable losses. Brunel was taken into custody after the hearing. And there are two pictures that accompany this story. The first, Randy Brunel, age 42, of Plymouth, was taken into custody after pleading guilty to burglary charges on Tuesday in Barnstable Superior Court. Brunel targeted homes when families were attending funeral services. The second picture says Barnstable Police Lieutenant Mark Mellon, on the right, sits with family members who were victims of Randy Brunel as they listened to his sentencing after he pleaded guilty to burglary charges on Tuesday in Barnstable Superior Court. And next we'll go to the Cape and Islands, Islands page. The top news story there is entitled, Cape Maritime University Embraces Diversity, by Rashik Tabassum Mujib, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. The Massachusetts Maritime Academy opened its new Captain Paul Cuffey Center for Inclusion in September. Formerly known as the Office of Intercultural Engagement, the office has been renamed to honor Captain Paul Cuffey, a master mariner, philanthropist, abolitionist, and education advocate. Descendants of Cuffey, including fourth great-grandson Robert Kelly, were guests of honor at the opening ceremony. 
We are involved in global diversity, inclusion, and belonging programs, Patrick Nobrega, director of the center, said in an interview with The Times. Any student who identifies as a first-generation student, student of color, or international student trying to culturally adjust, we offer advising services for them, said Nobrega. We encourage everyone to stop by and participate in the events that support inclusive excellence. The Academy, a state university in Buzzards Bay, had a full-time enrollment of around 1,700 undergraduate and graduate students in fiscal 2022, according to state records. Who was Captain Paul Cuffey? Paul Cuffey was born on Cuddyhunk Island in 1759. A member of the Wampanoag tribe, Cuffey was known for his work as a merchant and entrepreneur, according to the school. In 1780, Cuffey, along with his brother, joined four free African-American friends in petitioning the Massachusetts legislature to grant African-Americans the right to vote, according to the Paul Cuffey website. After establishing a shipping business across the southern coast of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, Cuffey went on to become one of the wealthiest Afri African Americans at the time. He was vocal about change for people of color, as well as in the maritime industry. Cuffey is also known to have established the first integrated school in Westport. His goal was to provide a space of learning for all communities, regardless of race. The center wants to expand exchange programs abroad. We just finished up events on Hispanic Heritage Month, and we are preparing to host events for the Native American Heritage Month in November, said Nobrega. Jonathan James Perry, a descendant of the Cuffey family and member of the Wampanoag tribe, is the main speaker for an event on Native American Heritage Month at the center on, to, on Thursday. The White Ribbon Project, another recent program, is a collaboration with Independence House, a women's center in Hyannis, and the Cuffey Center. The center is partnering with Independence House to offer a panel on November 8th about men standing in solidarity with women and girls against gender violence. The Cuffey Center also hopes to increase study abroad and exchange programs at the school. The next story on the Cape and Islands page is town meeting in Truro postponed again to allow probe of voters by Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. 
The town of Truro announced Monday it will again postpone the special town meeting, which was originally set for October 26th and rescheduled for November 2nd, to 5.30 p.m. on November 16th at Truro Central School. Town moderator Paul Wisotsky said the decision was made to give the Board of Registrars time to complete the hearings of 66 voter registration challenges filed with the town of Truro after it was discovered some part-time residents may have attempted to change their voter registration status to vote in the special town meeting a strategy David Sullivan, former legal counsel to the Secretary of the Commonwealth's Election Division, has said was illegal. We need to make sure that everyone who is eligible to vote is allowed to do so, and to do so unquestionably, Wisotsky said. I certainly understand people's frustrations. This isn't easy for anybody, and I'm sensitive to that. Town officials have not yet set times or dates for the voter registration hearings. Wisotsky said state law authorizes him to continue the town meeting for up to 14 days whenever the moderator feels voters are being improperly excluded from the town meeting or voters in attendance are being deprived of the opportunity to participate. Our town council pretty clearly said that if you have these voters who are challenged, if they are allowed to participate, and it turns out they are not legal voters, that actually dilutes the votes of those who are legally registered to vote, and so that, in a sense, is allowing depriving someone of their opportunity to participate, Wisotsky said. The same is true of the 66 voters who have been challenged, he said. If they were not allowed to vote without going through the proper process, the town would be depriving them of the opportunity to participate fully. At stake in the special town meeting are competing proposals for a new Department of Public Works facility, as well as a housing proposal to build 160 affordable units on a roughly 70-acre plot around Truro Central School, known as the Walsh property. On Saturday, October 21st, during the time the originally scheduled town meeting was to take place, Wisotsky officially rescheduled it. The event was heavily attended, and several members of the crowd heckled and booed Wisotsky while he spoke. Efforts on the part of some community members and part-time residents to advocate for a vote in Truro's electoral process have grown in recent days, including demonstrations, email campaigns, and an October 25th Zoom webinar featuring 
a municipal law attorney with expertise in elections law, according to an email obtained by the Times. Recipients of the email were told the attorney would discuss voter registration challenges and procedures with viewers. The session was hosted by the Truro Part-Time Resident Taxpayers Association, a nonprofit group who presented a plan to its members in August asking them to change their voter registration to the town of Truro to exert more influence at the special town meeting. We are deeply disturbed by these challenges and hope to provide you with information sufficient to the change process and to help make it easier to handle if you choose to, an email from the association said. Another community effort that has gained traction in recent days has been a petition to move the town meeting to a 10 o'clock a.m. on, excuse me, to 10 o'clock a.m. on November 4th to make it, quote, safer for more Truro citizens to attend, end quote, according to an email obtained by the Times. The petition, which now has 196 signatures, says having the meeting on a weekday night would result in a low voter turnout and pose a risk to those who, quote, fear it unsafe to attend at night and leave in the dark, end quote. We will stop this story now and go to the obituaries and we'll conclude this story after the obituaries. And now we'll go to the obituaries. Thomas Augustus Long. Thomas A. Long, or most knew him as Tommy of Hyannis, Massachusetts, has passed away at the age of 61 and is in heaven in the arms of his mother and father again. Tommy was a very loving man and had a huge heart. For the last decade of his life, Tommy was living in Hyannis with his wife, Patricia Kilmartin-Long, near Hyannis Harbor. They spent his final days traveling to some of his favorite bands at the Cape Cod Melody Tent and just enjoying life together. He survived by his children, Karen, Tommy, Anthony, and Bianca. He is also survived by his wife, Tricia, and his extended family, Timothy and Cheryl, Kathleen and Doug, Maureen and Tom, Karen and Joseph. He is a voice that will be missed by many, but surely never forgotten. He has left a piece of him in all of us. Beryl A. O'Connell. Beryl Ann Borden O'Connell, aged 99, passed away peacefully on Friday, October 27th, after a long and beautiful life. She was predeceased by her parents, her husband Paul, her son, Reverend Deacon Dennis G. O'Connell, 
and her sister, sisters, Barbara Schwab and Joyce D. Spadaro. She is survived by two sons. A Mass of Christian Burial will be celebrated at Corpus Christi Parish in East Sandwich on Friday, November 3rd at 11 a.m. Visiting hours are kindly omitted. Burial will be at St. Peter's Cemetery in Sandwich. Donations in Beryl's memory may be made to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul at St. Vincent de Paul, Post Office Box 668, East Sandwich, Massachusetts, 02537. For directions and online condolences, please visit www.nickersonbornfuneralhome.com. Com. James F. Burns James, or Jim Burns, age 88, of Arlington, Massachusetts, peacefully passed away on October 26, 2023. Jim was a beloved husband to Marguerite, or Mar- Margie, Irving for 63 years. After retiring, Jim and Margie divided their time between Yarmouthport, Massachusetts, and Hillsboro Beach, Florida. Jim will be remembered not only for his joyful personality, but also for his delightful sense of humor, which brought joy to those around him. He was deeply loved and respected by his many friends and neighbors. Jim had a profound affection for his family and took great pride in the accomplishments of his children and grandchildren. A funeral mass will be celebrated on Friday, November 3rd at 11 a.m. at Sacred Heart Chapel, 32 Summer Street, Yarmouthport, Massachusetts. Visiting hours will be held on Friday, November 3rd from 9.30 a.m., to 11:30, excuse me, to 10:30, at the Hallett Funeral Home, 273 Station Avenue, South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, 02664. Burial at a later date. In lieu of flowers, the family kindly requests donations in Jim's memory be sent to the Terraces of Orleans. 60 Daly's Terrace, Orleans, Massachusetts, 02653, or Beacon Hospice of Cape Cod, Care of Amadesis Foundation, 3854 American Way, Suite A, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70816. Karen A. Newman. Karen A. Newman, age 73, of Centerville, Massachusetts, passed away peacefully on October 26th. Karen loved the beach, bird watching, reading, doing puzzles, and cross stitch, for which she won several awards. Karen loved to golf. At one point, she played for two golf leagues Old Barnstable Fair Fairgrounds and the Cape Cod Women's Golf League. Karen loves spending time with her eight grandchildren and following them through their various activities in Waltham, Massachusetts, 
and Jacksonville, Florida. She is survived by her husband, Mark Newman of Centerville. Friends and family will be received Friday, November 17th at Chapman Funeral Home at 3778 Falmouth Road, Marston's Mills, Massachusetts, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., a memorial remembrance service to follow at the funeral home. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made in Karen's honor to the Cape Cod MSPCA or Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Arrangements under the direction of Chapman Funerals and Cremations, Marston's Mills. Thomas W. McSweeney. Thomas W. McSweeney, age 83, formerly of Somerville, passed away peacefully on October 26, 2023. Tom is survived by his beloved wife of 60 years, Carol Bartlett McSweeney. Relatives and friends are respectfully invited to visit at the Della Russo Funeral Home, 306 Main Street, Medford, on Friday, November 3rd, from 4 through 7 p.m., and again on Saturday morning, November 4th, at 10 a.m., followed by a funeral mass celebrated at St. John the Evangelist Church, 2254 Massachusetts Avenue, North Cambridge, at 11 a.m. Interment will be private. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made in Tom's memory to the Alzheimer's Association, 309 Waverly Oaks Road, Waltham, Massachusetts, 02452, or VNA McCarthy Care Center, 73 Service Road, East Sandwich, Massachusetts, 02537. To leave a message of condolence, please visit www.delorusso.net, Delo Russo Family Funeral Homes, Medford, Dash Woburn. Alan Stewart McEckern. Alan Stewart McEckern, age 83, of Valdosta, Georgia, passed away on Thursday, October 26, 2023, at Pruitt Health, Lake Haven. Survivors include his wife of 60 years. Joan McEachern of Valdosta, Georgia. Per his wishes, he will be cremated with no formal services. Family and friends invited to share memories and sign online guest book at www.musicfuneralservices.com. Daniel J. Coletti. Daniel J. Coletti passed away October 26th after having recently celebrated his 80th birthday on August 25th, which he shared with pride with his daughter. 
He married his wife, Sherilyn, a pediatric nurse, who we often referred to as the only one for me in 1978. They raised their family in West Boylston for 30 years before moving to Cape Cod. During this time, he ran a local golf tournament to support leukemia research for several years and served on local community groups, including Kiwanis. He also taught countless friends, children and adults alike, his favorite card game, Pitch. He played often. He rarely lost. He is survived by his wife, Sherilyn of Dennis. Family and friends will gather on November 3rd from 10 to 11 a.m. at Doan, Beale, and Ames in South Dennis, Massachusetts. An 11 a.m. service will immediately follow. A reception at the family home, also in Dennis, will take place after the services. In lieu of flowers, the family would appreciate a donation in his name to Tufts Medical Center at www.giving.tuftsmedicalcenter.org slash give. Mildred Mazanik. Mildred Mazanik Didio died October 27, 2023, surrounded by her family after a brief illness. Millie enjoyed traveling, visiting many national parks with her children, as well as traveling abroad. She was active in the Harwich Historical Society and the Harwich Women's Club. A lifelong reader, she was often found reading on her back deck while enjoying her garden. Millie also enjoyed knitting, quilting, and playing mahjong. She was dearly loved by her late husband, Warren. Visiting hours will be held Sunday, November 5th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Chapman Funerals and Cremations, 678 Main Street, Harwich, Massachusetts. A funeral mass will be celebrated on Monday, November 6th at 10 a.m. at Holy Trinity Church, 246 Route 28, West Harwich, Massachusetts. Burial will be Tuesday, November 7th at 10 a.m. at the National Cemetery, Bourne, Massachusetts. In lieu of flowers, memorial donations in Mildred's name may be made to the Family Pantry of Cape Cod, 133 Queen Anne Road, Harwich, Massachusetts. Notes of comfort may be made to her family at www.chapmanfuneral.com. And now we'll go back to the story that we were reading before the obituaries, which is entitled, Town Meeting in Truro Postponed Again to Allow Probe of Voters. Currently, eight names appearing on the petition are among the 66 voter registration challenges filed with the town. I am one of hundreds of Truro voters who view the cancellation of special town meeting on October 21st and the continued on-again, off-again strategy 
to serial, serially postpone it as the unlawful effort of town officials willing to do anything, including voter intimidation and suppression of the vote, excuse me, to get the outcomes they want, said Truro resident and petitioner John Slater in an email to the Times. Wazowski said his decision to postpone the meeting has been guided by town council and the Secretary of State's Elections Division. For me, as a moderator, I want to hear from people in the community. And in order to do my job, though, I also have to have expert guidance, he said. And regardless of where you stand on the issues, I hope that every person who is eligible to vote is unquestionably allowed to do so. And on the Cape and Islands page, there's also a beautiful picture of fall leaves, and the caption reads, Fall in Line. Shawnee Lake in Sandwich is surrounded by foliage and fallen leaves on Halloween Day. Our next local story is entitled Wild Turkey Trouble, How to Deter an Aggressive Bird on Cape Cod by Eric Williams, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Until I witnessed a furious turkey attacking a mail truck, I had no idea how aggressive the big birds could be. On a snowy day in 2011, I was dispatched to a quiet neighborhood in Centerville. The word on the street was that a turkey had a beef with a postal vehicle. This seemed preposterous, and I expected nothing more than a fruitless wait in the cold. Then the mail truck showed up. Suddenly, a seemingly enraged turkey darted out from the tree line. It started running alongside the truck, then launched itself into the side of the vehicle with what appeared to be extremely malicious intent. I could hear bangs and thwacks as it repeatedly assaulted the innocent male mobile. I didn't want to get out of the truck, the postal worker told me. I figured the thing would go after me. What causes wild turkeys to be aggressive? Sure, most wild turkeys mind their own business, politely foraging and roosting and inconveniently crossing roads. But every once in a waddle, I mean while, the birds can be aggressive toward humans. According to the State Division of of Fisheries and Wildlife, Wild turkeys that become accustomed to humans and human-associated foods, like birdseed, are likely to lose their fear of people and can cause damage or attempt to dominate people. Life is tough enough without being dominated by a feathered fiend, but luckily there are steps you can take to avoid 
avian antagonism. Don't feed wild turkeys. While forests and fields don't exactly look like a supermarket to humans, they provide enough tasty treats for wild turkeys. Let them indulge on stuff like seeds, acorns, insects, and invertebrates. But feeding turkeys is a big no-no, according to the state, and can start the ball rolling toward conflict. Turkeys do not need handouts from people, according to the State Division of Fisheries and Wildlife. Feeding, whether direct or indirect, can cause turkeys to act tame and may lead to bold or aggressive behavior, especially in the breeding season. Keep the areas around your bird feeders clean. Most folks don't hand feed wild turkeys, but bird feeders can be a sneaky side door to turkey trouble if seeds end up falling out of the feeder and piling up on the ground. This could attract turkeys seeking an easy meal. It makes sense to clean up spilled seeds around feeders on a daily basis and think about taking feeders down in the spring when there is an abundance of natural foods available to birds. Shine, uh, cover shiny objects and windows. Turkeys are strongly motivated to drive away from what they perceive to be intruders or threats, according to the state. This can become complicated when they are staring at their own reflection in a window, sliding glass door, or a shiny object in your yard. It's like the turkey is saying, get out of my face, while staring at its own dang face. This can create aggression, and turkeys might even try to attack their own reflection. If this becomes an issue, the state suggests covering up windows or shiny objects until things settle down. What to do if you have an aggressive turkey in your yard? This is when Cape Codders must summon up courage and gumption and show wild turkeys who is in charge. Once bold behavior is established, it can be very difficult to change, reports the State Division of Fisheries and Wildlife. Don't hesitate to scare or threaten a bold, aggressive turkey with a loud noise, swatting with a broom, or water sprayed from a hose. A dog on a leash is also an effective deterrent. And next we'll go to a national news story chain pharmacies hit with walkouts. Up to 4,500 pharmacists, techs, may be taking part. By Emily Lacaz, USA Today. Pharmacists protesting deteriorating working conditions inside the nation's largest retail chains launched their third and largest walkout of the season Monday, with a three-day movement they've dubbed 
Farmageddon. Organizers estimated the effort drew as many as 4,500 pharmacists and pharmacy technicians from multiple chains, including CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. The American Pharmacists Association, the industry's largest professional organization, said in a statement it stands with every participant. Representatives from all three companies, however, told USA Today they are experiencing zero to minimal disruptions as a result of the effort. It is the latest walkout to impact the troubled industry so far this autumn. The first closed more than a dozen CVS pharmacies in the Kansas City, Missouri area in September. The second affected roughly the same number of Walgreens stores nationwide in early October. Those taking part in the walkout told USA Today they are taking this dramatic action to draw attention to their plight and the danger it poses for patients. For too long, many said, their companies have ignored repeated pleas for more staff and resources, which they said they need to safely perform their jobs. We haven't been heard, said Nathan Fuller, a Walgreens pharmacist in Colorado who stayed home Monday. People are either so burned out or fed up with the way things have been going that it's hit a bursting point. If we continue to go down the direction we're going, it's going to be too unsafe. More work, fewer staff. Chain pharmacies have consistently slashed staffing levels while simultaneously saddling frontline workers with additional duties. Bad before the pandemic, the situation worsened during COVID-19 and has only gone downhill since then, a recent USA Today investigation found. Stores that a decade ago might have had two pharmacists and six pharmacy technicians filling an average of 500 prescriptions a day may now have half the staff and an even higher prescription volume, plus a crush of vaccine appointments, rapid tests, and patient consultation calls, the investigation found. Every task is timed and measured against corporate goals that reward speed and profits. Staff who do not fill prescriptions fast enough, answer the phones quickly enough, or drum up enough vaccination business can face discipline, reassignment, or termination. The pressure, pharmacists told USA Today, has, in, has led to increased medication errors that can imperil patient safety. The staffing levels are just unsafe, 
said one Walgreens pharmacist in Washington State who was participating in the walkout. I recently had to work multiple doubles in a row, a 12-hour shift. By the end of last Friday morning, I could barely think straight and caught myself making several errors I would have never made otherwise, like verifying the prescription with the wrong name. I knew it was due to exhaustion and overwork. The pharmacist, who asked not to be named for fear of company retaliation, said his pharmacy was closed on Monday because of the walkouts. He knew at least one other pharmacy in his area that was also closed. Walgreens spokesman Maddie, excuse me, Marty Maloney said that only two of its nearly 9,000 pharmacies were affected by the walkouts. CVS spokeswoman Amy Tibalt said her company hadn't experienced any unusual activity regarding unplanned pharmacy closures or pharmacist walkouts. But Shane Jaraminski, a California pharmacist and one of the walkout organizers, disputed those characterizations. He said he knew at least 25 Walgreens locations that were closed. He did not have an exact count of impacted CVS locations. This has been Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, November 1st. I'm wishing you all a wonderful day.